Homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. We spend a lot of time encouraging each other to cultivate loving kindness, metta, and it is much needed in the world, but also much needed for our spiritual practice. One of the things that we constantly do is do the formal meditation of metta. We sit on the cushion and meditate or we do walking meditation and cultivate metta. The best way is always to follow the instructions, the inside pathway given by the Buddha in the Karani Metta Sutta. For the young kids, we've called it metta school. And for the rest of us, it's really just learning and understanding how to follow the inside pathway. But the greatest challenge for us when it comes to metta is actually when we transition out of formal meditation and try and bring it into daily life, try to embody the qualities of metta in daily life. And it's difficult because there are a lot of challenging conditions, difficult people, different kamma ripening, and things of that nature. So what's really good about metta practice is one can do various things to infuse certain different things in our practice. And today let's talk about taking a closer look at non-metta. It's a way of shining the light of where we veer off from metta, where we get blocked from metta. So with non-metta, it's really the opposite of those core virtues of metta, opposite of the wholesome qualities that metta encourages us to develop. So we're not going to go through the whole thing, but just to give a bit of insight, offer a little bit of encouragement and reminder. So one of the things is about being easy to instruct. Like to have metta, one needs to have the ability to be easy to instruct. So one of the things in spiritual practice is when you have kalyanamitta, you invite each other to give feedback. And feedback is really important in this process. Firstly, because when you're easy to instruct, you're more likely to follow the Buddha's instruction. Whereas if you're duvacha as opposed to suvacha, so difficult to instruct, you're more likely to veer off on your own method and cobble together some semblance of this is how you cultivate metta. So one of the things about being easy to instruct is, is around taking feedback. And good Kalyanamitta, spiritual friends, and good persons, Sapurisa. When you're easy to instruct, you're willing to take that chance to offer feedback. And when you're a good spiritual friend on the receiving end of that, you're willing to listen and take it on board, investigate whether it is correct, and find joy when you find something that helps you to improve, to progress. When we look at non-metta, if you find yourself in a situation where someone is giving you feedback about a quality that maybe you have difficulty seeing, maybe it's something that keeps troubling you, you, you experience dukkha because of it, 
and a good friend comes and, and shines the light there. If you respond in the negative way, which is in accordance with anumana, you uh, are difficult to instruct, you reprove the reprover, you uh, insult them, you ignore them, you get angry, all those different ways of not responding well to feedback, particularly wholesome feedback where someone's intention is to help you. What's really good is to understand that is non-metta and to take some time to investigate why is that arising? Each person may have different reasons. It might be the timing of it. It might be different stresses that are in your life at that moment. It may be simply not willing to take feedback, not seeing the merit of taking feedback and investigating it. And there's varying degrees of where you stop. So some people would take it on board and, and not investigate, just take it on board and then forget about it. Other people would take it on board and then investigate and then go, oh, it's not true and, and not really take it seriously. What's interesting is that someone who is sapurisa, a good person, someone who takes on the qualities of the Buddha, really wants to practice with diligence and humility, then what you do is you take it away and you spend some time and you really investigate and, and then you, you look at your other interactions and see whether it's true. So one example could be someone says to you, when you're talking with people, there's a sharpness in how you talk. And this is also a non-metta quality. Where's the gentleness? So a person who rejects that might insult the person that is telling them or might ignore or might turn it around and say, well, you've got that quality too or something. That's non-metta. But the sapurasa would take that away and, and maybe shine the light on other conversations and pay attention to whether it arises or not. And when they see that it arises, they are joyful because they know, oh, this is a non-metta quality. I need to improve. If I improve on this, then certain things can be transformed in the development of metta as an embodiment of metta. And that person might also go back to the person that gave feedback, the, the spiritual friend, and say, thank you. Bahoma Ping, much merit to you because you've helped me and I've been able to stop myself from doing that. And so the metta practice is really starting to flourish. So that's one way, one example, and that's simply one aspect of easy to instruct. As we know easy to instruct when we follow the Anumana Sutta, there's 16 different qualities and they, they line up very well with Vatupama Sutta. So if you think about mental stains and other sorts of behavior, when you start to pay attention to things, if we just focus on four, you, you focus on derogation, you focus on disparaging, you focus on envy and stinginess. If you take one, say for example, envy, and you go through your day and you just pay attention to see whether envy arises, that's how you start to take a closer look at non-metta. If that is present, then there is a leak in your metta bucket. If you find that it is there, it's not a bad thing to discover it. When you take a closer look at non-metta qualities, it is part of metta practice. 
It is part of wanting to deepen the metta practice. And so if you take that example of envy, you might be going to work and you see someone and they're doing really well in a meeting that you're, you're going to. They present really well and maybe envy arises. I want that for me. And they get praised for it. And you, you think to yourself, I want that for me. That should be mine. Maybe you work hard as well and that person is your peer and you presented something but they got praise. And so you pay attention to that. Ah, oh, so that's how it arises in that kind of situation. Non-meta arises at work. Or it may not arise in your immediate family, but say for instance, you call your mother and you have a conversation with your mother and your mother starts to talk about your siblings, maybe a brother or your sister if you have, or somebody else if you don't have siblings. And, and what it does is it triggers envy in the mind because your mother is praising somebody else, raising somebody else, rightly or wrongly. And it triggers something in you where you think, why is she praising that person? That should be for me. And so you get envious of that person, whether it's a sibling or a friend of your mother's or, or someone you went to school with. And so again, you see, ah, non-metta arises in that situation when I'm talking to my parent. So that's one of the things when you start to take a closer look at non-metta, any one of the qualities, it's really helpful because you start to realize where does it arise? What situations? What can you do better? How do you get exposed? How much do you run with it? So how much does it disturb the mind? So it's very helpful. We touched on gentleness and gentleness is a very important one when it comes to the qualities. What is useful is to see how harsh we can be. So we know that it is linked to politeness or courteousness that through body, speech and mind, we can be quite harsh. So what's most obvious is in bodily actions and speech. So if you take an example of what we see in the world, we see things on TV, real life things where people behave quite badly. They have harsh speech and sometimes that leads to physical violence. They slap someone or hit someone and you know, show a very poor example. When we see that, we recognize it as bad and we see that that person has no shame, no shame about physical violence, using their fists or taking up a, a rod or weapon or they're okay with disparaging or derogation or, or shouting at someone using coarse language. If we recognize that, then in our own situation, you need to pay attention, where does that arise for me? An example might be at the supermarket, someone knocks you over by accident or maybe on purpose, they're, they're in a rush or something and they're sloppy. And your response to that is very important. Do you shout at them? Do you raise your hands? Do you give rude signs? What do you think in your mind? Because when those things happen and you behave poorly or you speak poorly or you think bad things, that's non-metta. 
And some of these situations can be quite instantaneous. It's a knee-jerk reaction. And it's good to pay attention and really look at it, even post-event, like later on, if you did something wrong. It's important to regret those things, but also to feel shame and also to reflect on fear of wrongdoing. What is the karmic implication of that? If you use your fist to someone, use physical violence, then one can expect sickliness. That's what the Buddha says. And things like that. Or there might be another scenario where you're having to defend someone. You feel that you need to defend someone. Someone hurt your loved one or insulted your loved one. And so your justification for shouting at a person, slapping a person or what have you, any kind of response or in your mind telling that person off, your justification is that's my family, that's my loved one, how dare they? And I'm entitled to defend my family, I'm entitled to speak up. But at that moment you've lost the battle non-metta is taking hold. Now that's where you really need the effort, the striving, whatever strength you have to not react with the unwholesome, not to use harsh speech, not to take up your fists, not to take up a weapon, not to respond. The sutta that comes to mind is actually Kakachupama Sutta, beautiful sutta in the Majjhima where even if someone is sawing off your leg, if you remember the simile of the saw, then that is where your metta practice really, really is strong. You don't react. You don't react in body, speech or mind. Very high practice. But we don't immediately leap to high practice. We gradually get there and with more effort, we can get there. But when you start to shine the light, you take a closer look at where you can go wrong. Usually it's around oneself and also around our loved ones. We justify how we go down the path of non-metta, non-gentleness. Also when we're caught up in the world, gain honour and praise. That is the seeds for arrogance, conceit, non-humility. For non-restraint. If you really believe in your work, believe in what your work makes you, if you believe in your views, strongly to your views, you forget about Dhamma at different times in your day, it's good to investigate. It's good to take a closer look. We've spoken about a few qualities and we haven't even really spoken about being upright and and very upright, but we do know that by body, speech and mind, we don't want to break our sila. We want to stay on the wholesome, not the unwholesome. So again, you can look at that. But it's also good to look at these softer qualities where we go wrong. When conditions get very challenging, which is what is arising in the world right now. And so when that is the case, one needs to be very, very careful around responding to other people's suffering and also our own. If you just think about when we're hungry, when we're thirsty, when we are too hot, too cold, we are off balance. 
So when conditions externally, such as when there are food emergencies, uh, shortages of everything, then this is almost like the simmering pot for things to go extremely pear-shaped. This is when non-metta arises. And we need to be very, very cautious. When they say the worst of humanity arises, when everything declines, we're at that point. So as much as we encourage each other to cultivate metta, what is very useful is to take a closer look at non-metta, when it can arise. And it can very much arise during the decline of the world. If we have to line up for gas, cooking gas, if we have to line up at the petrol station, but also when you're at the supermarket and people are starting to hoard. And we may have different views about hoarding and storing. When these things are happening, tempers can be very short at the supermarket. When we look at other people's trolleys, when we look at our own trolley, and we, when we look at the shelves, and when different things start to assail us, fear, anger, concern, envy, competition, all the different defilements can be there. So it's important to, when we go to certain places to do certain things which are needed this time, and the conditions are not easeful, that they're more difficult, it's important to clarify one's intention. It can be very useful before you go to the supermarket or before you line up at the petrol station or before you go to line up for cooking gas or before you go to a public area to clarify one's intention. What is your purpose for doing that? And when you are there, what kind of behavior are you expecting of yourself? And to caution that these are difficult times and to know that there are certain qualities in oneself each person is different, but we know, we certainly know what areas push our buttons. And so to practice caution, to practice restraint in those situations is very important. And that's where prudence comes in. We don't have prudence when non-method is there. We, we're very reckless or we can be very reckless not prudent in our choices, we have an automatic reaction in a negative way, or we just allow non-metta qualities to shine through. We talk back, we argue, we get into disputes. It's very important at this time that we are kind to people, but from a place of understanding, this is my brother or sister, this brother or sister is struggling right now. Some of us may be more fortunate than others, and more fortunate in terms of affluence, more fortunate in terms of punya, like merit. And if that is the case, then it is within our power or control to have kindness and compassion to others who don't have that, whose merit balances are less, who are struggling right now. And of course, we can't save everybody. We can't help everybody. What's really important is to make sure our practice is correct, that it is on the wholesome side. But we do what we can without overburdening ourselves and becoming off balance ourselves. But what we can do is have that mindset that 
this is my brother and sister who is struggling. And when we can't forgive, this is one of the non-metta qualities, when we find it difficult to forgive people's mistakes. Now, at a stranger level where we don't know people, it's easier in many ways to forgive because we don't know them, but we can offer them something in our minds which says, maybe they're having a really bad time right now. Maybe they had a bad day at work. Maybe they got fired. Maybe something's happening in their family. Maybe someone's sick. Maybe they have financial struggles. And so we offer that in our mind as a way of forgiving. One of the things when you keep investigating with metta is how much we hold on to grudges. We hold on to grudges with our in-laws. We hold on to grudges with our siblings. We hold on to grudges with our parents. And we hold grudges with our colleagues and even with many of our friends. We prefer some friends in our group more, more than others. They're our favorites. Same within our family, same at work. We always have these preferences. It's one of the hardest things about metta, that when the grudge is persistent and it's still there and you haven't penetrated and you can't shake it, like you can temporarily lift it, but it's still there, that means more work is needed on metta. So what you find is non-metta is there towards certain people. The grudges are the ones that are most evident about non-metta. And so when you investigate, why is it that when your brother says something to you or your sister says something to you, the one that you don't get along with so well and they, they have that ability to poke you, and when you really look at it, you see, oh, I've still got a grudge from 10 years ago. In some cases, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, maybe more if you're older, because of something they did when you were young. With metta practice, you look at why is that non-metta coming up? Why is stinginess coming up? Why is ill will or even hate coming up towards my sibling or whoever it is? And so it's really good to take a closer look because with mental practice, you're always peeling away layers, layers of ill will, layers of covetousness, layers of envy, layers of holding grudges. So metta practice is always around where are still the blocks, where are the leaks in the metta bucket? Where am I still finding it difficult? As we know, stinginess is such a huge one. It's a huge block to metta. You can't forgive and you prefer one over the other. We see that in war. War is very much always asking, are you siding with me? Are you on my side? And so the world gets very polarized. You see non-metta imbued in the world. War is the epitome of non-metta prepared to fight, prepared to kill, prepared to commit so much akusala by body, speech and mind. That's why we always encourage not to take sides, not to go into the realm of war, have restraint around it, not to believe politicians, so-called leaders of the world, not to get into debates about the war, not to believe wrong views and not to endorse anything because as we know, we accrue karma in that way with our 
volitional intentions and activities. When you take a closer look at non-methods, it's very helpful. Sometimes we don't want to do that because it's painful. The other quality that is most useful to look at, particularly in this time where the world is having shortages and seems to be heading towards more shortages around the world and more disagreements that are causing shortages. In Metta, the Buddha talks about contentment and easy to support. And this one is really good because at this point in time, if you have discontent with certain more difficult conditions that are arising, so for example, if you're finding it difficult to bear with not having your favorite foods, not being able to go out so easily because things are more expensive or because of restrictions, things of that nature, different, different reasons, and there's discontent. It's good to look at that non-method quality, like what is driving that? And when you look at not being easy to support, if you're young, for example, and your parents are saying, we need to cut back. No, we can't go to that place or I can't buy you that at the moment and you get unhappy and you you argue with your parents not seeing why then that's one aspect where you look at this this thing that the Buddha says about contentment and being easy to support when we're difficult and when we're quick to be discontented that is not metta so at this time for most of us we are experiencing quite difficult conditions so when you go to the supermarket and you see the shelves are no longer full, you know, there was a time where the shelves are packed full of things. And now you see uh, half full, uh, hasn't been restocked, not sure when it's going to be restocked or bare shelves in some cases. When you see that, it's quite shocking. But when you look at that and, and you think to yourself, what is the method quality? It's being content with whatever you can afford. It's being content with having less and not making it difficult for those that are around you. So one of the beautiful things that one can do is to simplify. Metta has this quality of simplicity, not complexity. And we've talked about this before, but more so now than anything, if you're complicated, complicated needs, complicated preferences, and discontent because you can no longer obtain what you could before or you could no longer experience what you could experience before. Really look at that. So right now, as an example, in Sri Lanka, there are long power cuts and they're increasing. They're going from sporadic to one hour to two hours. Then it went to five hours. Then it went to six and a half hours. And then it went to over seven hours. And now they're going to over 10 hours, split up between five hours then and five hours later. So conditions are getting increasingly difficult. On top of that, people are lining up for petrol and then there are lines for cooking gas. And then when you go to the supermarket, there's sometimes no milk, no milk powder, all different things are, are missing. Now, the person who doesn't understand metta would be very angry and would demand, 
I need this, I must have it, what is going on? And, and you would be saying horrible things about different people in power and all kinds of things like that. And, and maybe there is partial truth in what is deserved. Based on facts, there may be some truth in, in certain things. But the quality of, of seeing metta versus non-metta is that the conditions show us that it is time to cut back. It is time to make sure you don't take too much, that there is enough for everybody else who is suffering. We think about others at this time. So when, when you go to the supermarket, it's important that you don't buy up everything. That creates problems for everybody else. You buy what you can and in moderation. Buddha's path is the middle path. He talks about eating in moderation. Now is the time to practice that. Now is not the time to be lavish. So if one is still thinking in the lavish mode, in the complicated mode, in the complex preferences mode, that is non-metta, is to look at that. The other part of it is contentment comes when you look at glass half full rather than half empty. So although power cuts are increasing, sometimes what you can say is, wow, today was a little cooler. It wasn't as hot as it was going to be. So despite the power cuts, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Or, oh, they didn't cut the full time. They gave us a little bit back. Sometimes these things happen. Or you managed to secure a gas tank and you're just happy about that. Or it's just being able to give up a meal if that is what the situation calls for. The other scenario would be we cut back instead of six dishes or five dishes or four dishes, depending on how big our family is, we cook less and we use less gas in order to cook or less electricity in order to cook. We think about others in that sense. Metta in terms of manifesting, it takes this form. And if we keep pursuing greed, we try and follow the same pathway, apply the same route, unwholesome route, it would be awful for the world because if everybody thought along those lines, then it would be very difficult. So there are layers of it. You see it where individuals do it, but then when you see it when companies do it to try and make more profits, you see it when governments do it, where everybody's trying to take a cut at every single part of the chain because what they see is, oh, that person's doing it, so I'll do it. And up and up it goes the chain and you never get out of this mess. And that's where moral shame, fear of wrongdoing is really good when it kicks in. When you're doing things, you do what you can, you store something, but you're not excessive. Even despite seeing other people behaving wrongly, not cutting back, still behaving with greed, the person who is walking this path decides it's better to cut back. It's better to see the danger in sensual pleasures. It's better to live more simply, to become more resilient. When you think about metta, metta really means when you're not with form. And what is really helpful is not to go with feeling. The post-perception of the taint of sensual pleasures is really expecting pleasure. So most of the time what we do is we expect pleasure from conditions. So when 
conditions get very difficult, our pleasure is compromised. Part of non-metta is when we kick and scream and lament and complain and get angry when things don't go our way. So when difficult conditions arise, you go with the feeling and you get angry. You get very angry, you go to dosagati, going the bad way or the wrong way with hatred. Automatic, and then you get very sad. You don't like the experience of dukkha. You don't like the experience of too much cold, too much heat, hunger, all the different things. You don't like the experience of shortages, rations, climate change, whatever it is. But if you don't go with the feeling, it's really good. It's very helpful. So if you live in a hot climate and there are power cuts, it's good to get used to living without the fan. It's good to find different ways and means to hydrate, cool off the body. It's good to sit on the floor. Buddha talks about not sitting in high places. If you're a spiritual practitioner, what's really helpful is to be more humble. One of the things that is quite cooling is to sit or lie on the floor. Of course, you can put a sheet or what have you, or a very thin mattress or cushion, but it's much cooler on the floor. There are always ways where you can embody metta by overcoming the non-metta aspect of it, like seeing where the non-metta comes. So this can be quite helpful. Buddha talks about living a modest life. Nobody can fault you out in the world or even the wise ones, the noble ones. If you lead a modest life that is pure, that is upright, it deserves respect, a lot of respect. And part of this spiritual practice is about non-harm. We don't want to harm anybody else. And so when you come with that intention to renunciate, to have non-ill will and not to harm, it's really core part of the, the Buddha's path, the Noble Eightfold Path. You start with the right view about Kamma, rebirth. And so these intentions can be very, very powerful I mean no harm. I am willing to renunciate, to give up, give up for others, give up for this path. I'm willing to overcome ill will, grudges, anger, all the different defilements. So in this way, when you look at it from non-metta, it can be very helpful because when you understand it, you overcome it with metta. So this is the charita varita. You avoid the non-metta aspects or the defilements or the bad behavior, the non-virtuous side, and you cultivate the virtues that are metta qualities. So that's how you take a closer look. You shine the light in those areas. There's so many different aspects to it. And some of you may already be practicing and, and delving deeper, looking deeper into these things, but it's important to encourage each other peeling away the layers of defilements and wrongdoings, seeing the shamefulness in it and the recklessness in how we do certain things. And so we progress, we improve, and this path really starts to take hold. When the non-metta qualities subside, we abandon them and we take up the metta qualities. Buddha talks about ease and it is very real, no longer troubled, no longer disturbed, no longer can be disturbed. The blessings of metta really come true. And so you can see the result for yourself. 
We can end our session here. Let's share the merit with all sentient beings. May all beings be happy and well. May all beings be free from suffering. Blessings of the Triple Gem. Wishing you well. Teruan Saranai.